Hello, I'm Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, and this is episode number 231. And we're going to talk about a classic science fiction novel called uh, The Stars My Destination by Alfred Bester. And written in 1956, it looks like. And it came out It came out in the United Kingdom under the name Tiger, Tiger. Well, and I'm thinking 1956, this is not an easy book to read necessarily. In uh-huh. 1956, this must have been like a punch in the face. <laughs> it must have been. <laughs> Don't you think? I do, yeah. So um, the style is just so... Uh, I saw it called pyrotechnic. Mm-hmm. So it's like one firecracker, one rocket after another wow, going off. Yeah, yeah. And so it launches you higher and higher and faster and faster. And, and you don't know what's happening at the beginning. Cause you know, the rock has just been lit and you're going woo into the air <laughs> and you're just like, I am hanging on for everything. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm thinking 1956 didn't have tons of books like that. Now we've had a lot of different, kinds of books that are right. yeah, for harder sure. to read like that. How do you feel that it held up as far as, uh, um, you know, being dated? Oh, no, no. I, I mean, I guess there are some things that seem a little dated in terms mm-hmm. of how they talked about maybe the cities or some yeah. of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you think of the other things that were introduced, like the jaunting yeah, and, um, I don't know, just those kinds of ways that they handled the prison that he goes to. And you feel, I felt like that seemed fresh. Yeah. How that, did you that's, feel? That, that's exactly how I felt. I This is one of the, I, I don't know why, but it just doesn't seem dated to me. Mm-mm. If this book came out today, I think it would fit. You know, yeah. it's something that might sell really well. <laughs> and and it's rare, you know, because science fiction is is dated usually. You know, you read a 1950s science fiction novel, you're reading like an artifact of what it was like in the 50s, right? You're, you're um, the, the, the author maybe commenting somehow on what was happening in the 50s and uh, maybe some concerns that he or she had is, are being addressed in the novel and, you know, in kind of an if-this-goes-on type of a situation, right? Um, but this I didn't feel that way at all. I'm reading it, and um, there were very few things that I felt were dated. Yeah, and that's a good point because I've been reading for <laughs> as comfort reading. Mm-hmm. I've been reading old science fiction, specifically the time trader series by Andre Norton. Oh, I wow. don't know if uh-huh. you're familiar with that or not, I'm not but yeah, but well, the, mm-hmm. the, as it goes on, it gets less dated feeling to me, but the very first book they've discovered time travel. And what's happening is the Soviets, or as they call them, the reds, capital R, and the Americans are fighting um, kind of a covert battle across different timelines. And so, and obviously the Soviets are doing stuff in the past. So the Americans are trying to figure out what is it they found and where are they focusing on different areas, but it's continually the reds, the reds, the reds, the reds. And so you're never allowed to forget really that it's 
this time period. Mm. And this book, there was a big war happening, but it never was talked about in terms of ideology. It was just the outer planets, the inner planets, the, these things were bombed. It That's was, it. Right. It was almost as if, you know, he was saying, you know, people fight, you mm-hmm. know, the author. And, you know, he wasn't, even though I felt like this, this book had a realized world at a higher level than a lot of them. Um, there weren't those specifics, and maybe that's why it doesn't feel dated. You know? Yeah, because he's not spending a lot of time on describing how people live either. I mean, right, the right. the descriptions he gives are things like when um, the hero is uh, now in the second phase of the book, and so he's got lots of money, and he's being ridiculous, and he has his circus. Hmm. And even that's not described a lot. It's described just enough through outrageous actions and clothing and everything that you realize how different he is from all the rich people who are acting like rich people always act. That's constant throughout time. Mm. So, um, but he's not going in and going, and then they had breakfast and here's how they made it. And here's what they had. And those are the times when you really, I think, see also uh, dated things. Mm. And that's, Mm. he's not worrying about that because the rockets are going off. Yeah. We're being sent to the moon we got no time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I selected, just a quick aside, I selected this book for a reason. <laughs> this uh-huh. this book is the origin of this podcast, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Julie and I were both on SFF Audio, uh, their episode number 64, uh, with Luke oh, Burridge. Oh, so early. Yeah, with Luke Burridge and uh, Jesse Willis. And um, we talked about this book and... After the discussion was over, I recall sending an email to Julie and saying, you know, this book strikes me as a Catholic in this way. And I don't even remember what that was. You know, I don't have a <laughs> copy of the email or anything. And, yeah. and that started the ball rolling. And uh, several months later, we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. And this is our 10th year doing the podcast. So this is uh, like a 10 years ago is when we read this book. I, have, you, have you looked at it since then? Not at all. Have yeah, you? no, I hadn't either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I reread it, and I can't say that I know for sure what was in my head when I emailed you, like what mm-hmm. what we didn't talk about in that other podcast. But um, but anyway, I thought it would be fun to look at it again. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it was interesting to read this, thinking about what would I talk about with you that I wouldn't have talked about there. And of course, it's clearly the idea of um. We will need to describe the book, but as a very, very superficial, quick description, it's been called The Count of Monte Cristo in Outer Space, and I feel mm. like that's fair. Right. And mm. um, as I said, superficially fair. <laughs> and um, and so, in that sense, there's things like um, revenge is bad. Let's discuss. Well, you're discussing revenge on a secular level versus from a faith-based orientation is completely different. And all through this book, I noticed they're continually talking about the seller Christians. They're continually talking about faith versus belief versus um, nothing, nihilism. And he clearly, he's not giving us his conclusions at the end or even a lot of times throughout the book but there's a lot of stuff that's food for thought. And if you want to have a really thorough conversation, I think you have to talk about the faith aspect and that podcast will talk about it, especially Jesse is Mm -hmm. very open to bringing all that up. But 
you can't talk about it the way a couple of believers would talk about it. It's just different. Yeah, sure, sure. So. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the origin of, of why it was selected anyway. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed Good. taking a look at it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one one thing that is different between me now and me then is all the stuff we've read since. <laughs> yeah. And um, one thing that wouldn't have occurred to me then that occurred to me this time is I, I sort of was thinking Flannery O'Connor at one point. Because oh. Gully Foyle is as grotesque a character, as over-the-top a character, as somebody from a Flannery O'Connor book. Mm-hmm. But it lacks Flannery O'Connor's reasons for doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you do have this revenge is uh, bad, you know, and we get that because Gully Foyle, as we'll talk about in a second, has... A, an overdeveloped sense of revenge, to say the least. But it is, <laughs> yeah. it is, you know, to say overdeveloped, it's almost like uh, um, an opera. You know, it's, it, it is <laughs> insane how far he goes. Yeah, it it's is, banded from the opera style. I didn't it's, think of that. Yeah, yeah. it's grotesque. You know, it, the, this is someone who is, you know, uh, an aspect of the person is just taken to an extreme. And uh, played out, you know, if oh, it was as if it was theater, right? That's so smart. I hadn't uh, thought of that at all, but I would have enjoyed the book a lot more if I'd have had these <laughs> ideas. Um, it, 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 it just occurred to me because you know we've read so much Flannery O'Connor, but again, you know, well, is there a result of that? I don't know. I mean, when when Flannery O'Connor does it, you know, she hits you with a the hammer. There's some point. Something something emerges, you know, that's just somehow she does that, you know, I can't even uh, explain how she does it. But this thing just bubbles up, right? He doesn't have that. Alfred Bester, I'm not saying that he's he's like her in that way. It's yeah. just that the character is just over the top and, and is, and is a grotesque, right? I haven't read one of her novels. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I don't know if one of her novels would feel closer to this. Then we've read the short stories, which are necessarily more focused. Mm, yeah. But I like your point about the opera because it makes me think of the fact that he's got this tiger tattoo, right? Yeah. Right. On his face. And of course, you know, so that when he gets angry, the mask comes out and hides his face. Well, and in this sense, it's actually showing his true face. Hmm. He is like the tiger. He is remorseless. He has one thing in mind, and that's all he lives for. Right. And mm. and that's very theatrical. It hadn't very. occurred to me that you would change masks to almost like kabuki theater, if that's what you say. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, I've never seen it, so I'm just pulling that term out of, who knows, out of the 1950s, so it's appropriate, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, I, how about we just sort of start to talk about the plot of the book? But let's feel free to diverge off of that rather than just uh, summarize, you know. So at at the very beginning is one of the images, well, at the very, very beginning um, is just a, 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 it's almost like a news story uh, in the way it talks about it, but it talks about jaunting. And oh yeah, that was that was fascinating. So before we even get to the main character, there's this few pages about uh, jaunting and how it's changed society. And what jaunting is is an innate human ability that 
has been unlocked. And it was unlocked by someone who was in a imminent death situation and managed to move himself out of that situation a few feet away, right? Yeah. And um, telekinetically, telekinetically, or right? It's like he moved his body, and it was like, wow, that's handy. And then um, when when the person did that, they uh, scientists were like, how did you do that? And uh, the description of them trying to figure out how it happened, you know, and one of the things that they would do is they would say, okay, we're going to put you in this tank of water. The water's going to fill up. You're going to drown. And hopefully you'll jaunt yourself out of there. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's basically, yeah, we're going to put you in a life-threatening situation, <laughs> but you're really going to die if you don't get out of there, right? Because he had to know that in order to do it. Right. Um, anyway, I found that just fascinating and, <laughs> and crazy. Um, but, but yeah, well, so as the tank filled up, you know, he's drowning and, and he uh, uh, jaunted out of the situation. Yeah. So um, then from there, they figured out how to do it and, and it's a focus thing. And, but it's an and innate, you have to have seen the place, yeah. the place you're going to go. Right, and, right. All that yeah. kind of thing. You have and to be able it, to visualize it, and it's right. almost you're willing yourself to be there. What I would like yeah. to say before that, even, mm-hmm. yeah. let's go to the very beginning. I'd like to that read wasn't the first the, That wasn't the very beginning? No. Well, go for it. Right yeah. before it. It says, this was a golden age, ah. capital G, capital okay. A, yeah. a time of high adventure, rich living, and hard dying, but nobody thought so. This was a future of fortune and theft, pillage and rapine, culture and vice, but nobody admitted it. This was an age of extremes, a fascinating century of freaks, but nobody loved it. Hmm. And so, first of all, that made me think of, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Oh, yeah. Charles Tale Dickens. of Two Cities. Yep. And, of course, what we're looking at through the whole book, now that I'm reading this out loud, I think we're looking at the people who we really almost never meet versus the people in power. Hmm. Who are all trying to get this pyre and run the war and make money and everything, right? Yeah, right. And so then he's talking about, you know, there's all these people, the romantics who don't even realize that things are romantic right now and bring back the romantic age. And I'm like, of course, that's just like us. Mm. We never really realize that it's the romantic age. And at one point, then a little bit later, when we're hearing Gully Foyle's, um, I guess it's his HR (laughs) file Uh where it says um, a man of physical strength and intellectual potential stunted by a lack of ambition energizes at minimum the stereotype common man. Some unexpected shock might possibly awaken him, but psych cannot find the key not recommended for promotion has reached a dead end. Mm. And so gully foil in that sense, I feel like that's reflecting the first paragraph. Mm. Mankind is stuck. They don't even know what's going on. They are all these things, but they don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. And it takes a big shock to change things. And so by the end of the book, when he's throwing the pyre around and going, or pyre or whatever you say it, um, and going, let's let man decide what they're going to do, not just the higher ups. That's the shock that's going to rock man to the next level, maybe. Right, right. Yeah, so that's cool. fascinating. Just occurred to me, so yeah, I don't cool. know if that's true, but 
That's cool. Why not? Yeah, and and um, and overriding, uh, you know, Tiger Tiger is a famous poem. Um, yeah, just just to mention Blake. that really quick because it, it just um, the the little part that it is Tiger Tiger burning bright in the force of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame frame thy fearful symmetry? And then um, later on in that poem, it says, "Did he who made the lamb make thee?" So. Um, just this idea that hey, whatever it was that made the tiger, made the lamb, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure that Blake meant um, lamb with a capital L, at least in the version that I'm looking at. Yeah, you know, so yeah. so it it is like, uh, well, Shakespeare, you know, how great a work is man, right? It's mm-hmm. like all of these extremes are man, and and mm-hmm. whatever made them made both of those things, right? Um, it, it's just kind of an overriding kind of a thing that kind of floats around. Well, and especially, and I know talk about jumping ahead, but by the end of the book, what you realize is, of course, he's looking at society versus the individual. Mm, yeah. I don't necessarily think, I think he comes down just kind of in an all or nothing way that I think is not, Right, but agreed. Yeah, there's it's a little bit of a problematic philosophy at the end. Right, right. But <laughs> like, it hmm. goes back to what you're saying about did he make the lamb make thee, and the whole idea of, um, you know, as I was as I was saying, you know, here we have this description at the beginning. It's the common man who needs a shock to wake up. Right, it's society versus the individual. Everybody's just living for themselves. Yeah, and yeah. Gully Foyle spends the entire book living for himself till he no question is right. shocked awake. That's what he's doing. He's he's um, bent on revenge, a hundred percent selfish um, anger. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and yeah. why why is he angry? You know, we can say that here. And and this is one of the. Yeah things that remains with me. So when I thought about it 10 years ago before I reread it, one of the things that was in my head, a lot of it I hadn't remembered, but Mm -hmm, I don't know if you felt the same way. But the thing that was in there was the whole first part where he's (laughs) he's locked in a closet and he's he's been there for like 170 days, I think it said. Yeah. And he's and and so he's in there um, in a shipwreck in space. He, when he, his closet runs out of air, he has a, like a, a air tank in there and he'll open the valve and fill the, the locker with air and then turn it off. And then when the, the cylinder runs out of air, he's got to go, he's got to put on his spacesuit. He's got to make sure he's got enough air in his spacesuit, meaning he just fills the spacesuit with air. Because he doesn't know how to do it direct. He doesn't know how to connect it. Yeah, right. that was. I was like, wow, he was dumb. Yeah, and then you he know? goes out into uh, the vacuum of space in, the, in this shipwreck, which has holes in it. Right, finds yes. finds another tank, gets himself back into his closet, and then turns the tank on to fill the the space with air uh, before he passes out. And usually, he passes out right after he opens the valve. And uh, anyway, he lived like this for 170 days. So he had this will to live. Yeah. And then what happens is one time while he's out rummaging around or looking for air or something, a spaceship approaches and this he can tell what the name of it is. It's the Vorga. And um, 
anyway, they drive right on by. And and they know that he's there because he's shooting flares off. And they approach, you know, and like, wait, I wonder what's shooting flares off. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it approaches and then leaves and uh, doesn't pick him up. And uh, he said, you know what? I'm going to kill those people. Or, and yeah, that becomes that becomes his life's goal, and yeah. it's it's enough of a fire inside him that he figures out how to survive and get the ship moving, um, and everything. He he escapes his situation using that fire as fuel, and then that propels him for the rest of the novel. He's like, I'm. I'm just gonna find out who this was, and I'm gonna kill him. Yeah. You know? So in his head, you know, at the beginning, it's just I'm gonna find that ship and kill it, <laughs> right? It's later on in the book where they say, you know, that ship was people. Right. <laughs> That's the thing that got me. Where yeah. he's like, oh, and, who was the brain behind it? <laughs> yeah, and I thought and that I was, was an interesting. Like, wow, thing. he was very basic. Very very basic. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to kill that ship. And, and someone yeah. says, you know, someone in that ship is who made that decision. And he's like, oh, really? <laughs> well, and now he starts, I hate them and I want them. Yeah. You know? And he so, starts working his way up. <clears throat> right. So after he escapes, he gets picked up by the scientific people. I loved them so uh, much. I did not remember them at all. Right. And they amused me so much. Yeah. And there's something. So they like there was an uh, indictment of science hidden in there somewhere. Right, right. So they're <laughs> they're all about the science, but they are not very bright. Um, they're they're not. Um, it, it's almost like they are separate from the world and separate from technology, kind of. But yet at the same time, they're like we're the scientific people. And, well, they um, were uh, what a scientific originally a scientific expedition that was kind of marooned wherever mm. they are. So they grew into a society that now generations later only remembers the basic science, yeah, technology or the descript vocabulary. That's right, it, right? But not what any of it really means. So yeah. they're extremely primitive. It's like um, being lost in the jungle or out in the desert and being found by, I don't know, oh what, the sand people in Star Wars or something or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Oh, I loved um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Mechanical for Leibowitz, you know, where, oh, where okay. he had that uh, grocery list or something. Oh, yeah. And they were like, yeah. you know, this is incredibly important. So uh, uh, a similar thing they had, you know, this list, you know, ammonium bromide, one and a half grams, potassium bromide, three grams, sodium bromide, two grams, and then citric acid, it says quant suff, which is yeah. sufficient quantity, right? Yes. And uh, the scientific people, quant suff, the scientific people roared, quant suff. <laughs> oh, it was, it was like, you know. The holy words. Yeah, holy words, exactly. Oh, just awesome. Yeah. yeah, and then they use tattooing. Right, and they, the they tattoo of... his face, right. Yeah. So he wakes up, and his face is tattooed like a tiger. You know, I, I imagine swirls and, uh, you know, mm, mostly, orange and black. mostly covered. And, uh, you know, he didn't approve that. But anyway, so now he goes uh, back to the world that way um, and, uh, yeah, continues his hell-bent on revenge but one of the yeah. things that happens next is that he gets the tattoo removed with the help of a of a person that he's with and um they are able to remove it 
but it's he's got scars deep inside that when he starts to get overly emotional, the 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 scars sort of become red, mm-hmm. and uh, you can see the tattoo that used to be there. Was didn't wasn't he in prison before that? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, and this prison mm-hmm. where he meets Jezebel McQueen. Uh huh. I think is her name. Um, Mm -hmm. She helps him escape. So this is where I really was feeling the Count of Monte Cristo connection. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you talked about what I haven't read that. Right. And you talked about what you read since 10 years, 11 years ago. (laughs) And this is something I'd read in Uh that time period. And thanks to Craftlet, which spent over a year doing this book. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying, I did it with them. I waited until it was done and then did it. But it was really surprisingly good. The middle's kind of slow. You're like, I get it. Okay, move on. But um, And that story has got um, a young seagoing guy who's very promising. He is smart. He does do well. But because of circumstances and political ambition and people trying to protect their family who are during the Napoleonic comeback and all this stuff, he gets thrown into a deep, dark prison and I mean, to where you can't even see that kind of thing. And so the mm. prison descriptions really sounded like that. People wow. couldn't even really communicate except he hears a noise from a neighboring cell. And it's this old Abe who's been in prison forever and ever and they're able to do a tunnel. So he says, well, I, the Abe says, I've been working on a tunnel, so let's get, I, we can figure out a way to get out together. We can work on this. And in the meantime, he improves this young seaman's uh, education. Mm. He's teaching him all kinds of things, and he's telling him about a place where he can get tons and tons of treasure. Mm. So by pretending to be dead... You know, it's talking mm-hmm. about spoilers, but it's a yep. very old book, and people know this part usually. Mm-hmm. He does manage to get out, and then he disappears, and everybody thinks he's dead. And so he comes back completely disguised, totally different, using the name the Count of Monte Cristo. And he'll throw these big, fabulous parties. <laughs> he ingratiates himself with society. He's warming his way into the lives of all these people who he knows have uh, contributed to him being thrown into prison. And his fiance being taken away from him and his father died because there was no support. I mean, everything happened awful to his family and he is going to get his back. Mm -hmm. So as this book went on, and especially with this prison section and the outrageous way that they got away, it really made me think of that book. Yeah, that's cool. And then the conclusion, Mm -hmm. of course, of, of The Count of Monte Cristo is, oh, revenge is bad. And revenge is not only bad because it's not nice, you know, it's it's not giving the other people a chance to repent or anything. Mm-hmm. If you're being truly vengeful, it is uh, bad for the person who's carrying out the revenge too. It's harmful yeah. to them. Right. And it hurts innocent people. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this book and does that's say all, that, right. <laughs> and that's all here too. Yeah, yeah. It is all there. Right. Right. And it's more tied into a religious context because you know, Mm-hmm. That was written a long time ago, and yeah. they were more out in the open about it. But this has those whispers at the same time. Right, right. But yeah, so the prison yeah. part is one that I um, 
didn't really remember specifically, but I did remember him meeting somebody there. Mm -hmm. And that's where he kind of, he gets out and he can turn into a new person. And as I was reading this and how dark it was and everything, I went, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, I see why people are making that connection now. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's with uh, Jizabella or Jizabella McQueen. And that, that's, like that. that's yeah. how, that's who takes him to get his tattoos removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also who he goes back to the Nomad. The Nomad is the name of the ship he was wrecked in. Mm-hmm. Um, they go back there and they recover this stuff called Pyre, which you had mentioned earlier. Yeah. I'll just call it Pyre, but it's well, They P- think it's money, yeah, but. P-Y-R capital E. So yeah, yeah. They, they think that they're going back for, for money, but the, the Pyre is not money. They're not positive what it is. They know that it's important. But they also, uh, from the ship, have a bunch of platinum. And uh, yeah. yeah, so there's there's this fortune right there, just like in Count of Monte Cristo. Well, because he's being, uh, the other thing is, is he's being pursued mm-hmm. by people who, uh, powerful people. Right, who want the pyre, right? We're connected to the ship, and he thinks it's for the money. He's mm-hmm. told, it's because yeah. there's all this platinum there, we need this 20,000 whatever of platinum. Yeah. But then he finds out later it's for the pyre. Right, right. Which is uh, some amazing new explosive. Yeah. And then just like Count of Monte Cristo, the novel changes completely mm-hmm. because Foyle becomes Jeffrey Fourmile. And he is definitely a partying guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, you know, this thing, this book is a perennial science fiction classic, right? It's always on a list of, important science fiction novels. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason is there are so many ideas in here, science fictional ideas that um, I don't know that they originated here, but they're so developed and used um, just idea after idea, after idea, mm-hmm. after idea. And um, you know, so one of those is here's Jeffrey Formile used to be Gully Foyle. So not only does he look a little bit different, but he's changed his body. His body is now a weapon. Oh, yes, <laughs> you know, that's like, right. Uh, Don Knotts, my body's a weapon. Anyway, <laughs> so, but he, he's like, I am a killing machine now, right? And he's, yeah, he's got, been wired. he's all wired up and he's got like a switch in his tooth that makes time, well, it doesn't make time speed up. It makes him, him speed yeah. up so that it's like his metabolism or whatever, so that everybody around him appears to be going slower. Um, yeah, he can blur around and kill 16 people in mm-hmm. like, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah, so that he's kind of awesome. thing. Turns out it's uh, military tech. Yeah, right, right. Because you meet some spies later who go, oh, he's connected somehow because he's got the same stuff we do. Right, right. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. But one thing that I thought was interesting is when he shows up again as Jeffrey Formile, I was like, oh, is he deliberately using that name to tell people who he is and he's coming for them because that's the name when they were, when he was under observation and they were trying to make him think he was somebody else. Mm -hmm. It was like old espionage techniques or something where they're like, Oh no, you're super rich, Mr. Four Mile, (laughs) Mr. Jeffrey Four Mile and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And this and this and this, because they were trying to get the location of the safe out of him. Right. Right. And they almost had him. And then he went, Nope. You made a fatal flaw or fatal slip, <laughs> but he's using that name. And then later on, uh, somebody Dalrymple yeah, or right. says, 
oh, I knew who you were instantly. This is the name <laughs> that was used. Because used the name, yeah. Yeah, used so during like, that. And right. I was like, oh, so this is the clue that he's not as smart as he thinks he is. He doesn't know everything he thinks he does, even though when we meet him and he's very rich and Mr. Jeffrey Formile and, and making society love him, mm. he's not as smart as he could be. Right. He's right. unaware. He's unself-aware of yep. some things. Right. Too focused on revenge to <laughs> see what's well, going it was on in around his, him. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was in his subconscious. He's not yeah. reflective of anything else. He's just driving for one goal. And he's using people on the way. I, Rob, poor Robin uh, Wednesday. Mm. Yeah. He's ruined her life. She's when he's being uh, just a step backwards for a second, when he's kind of coming back into society and using um, these jaunting classes for people to kind of for his own purposes as if he's a beginner. And it was so subtly said where he just put her down on the bed and said nothing. And then later on, she's talking about, I was raped. Oh no, you're the one who did it. And I had to go back and I reread it and went, well, I didn't get that out of that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was more horrible and ruthless than we realize. Right. Cause he's, he doesn't care about it. So, and he's the one at that point telling the story. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. Horrible fella for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Robin Wednesday or Winsberry um, was a uh, oh Winsberry Winsberry okay. yeah I read she it wrong. she was interesting because um, she was a one way telepath mm-hmm. and that that was a cool concept too so she's a great teacher right <laughs> it even said yeah. in there you know one way telepaths are you know there's some jobs that they're really good at and being a teacher is one of them and uh, I can sure see that you know so she can project her thoughts but she can't read back. And then um, another thing that we learn right through this section of the book is that he has learned to control himself, his emotions, because um, in order to keep his face normal, he can't uh, be too emotional, right? So he's learned self-control by using yoga, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, um, they call... Or he calls, I don't know if he calls himself this or just the author, but they call it stigmata. And I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. You know, so his his um, his tattoo scars are called stigmata. Yeah. Right. And then for us, stigmata is appearance of the bodily wounds of Christ on a person. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's stigmata with a capital S, but maybe... Stigmata with a little s means just scars or something. I'm not sure. That's interesting. So a mark of disgrace associated with particular circumstances, quality, or person, or in Christian tradition, marks corresponding to those left on the body, Jesus' body, by Mm. the crucifixion, said to have been impressed by divine favor in the bodies of St. Francis of Assisi and others, such as Padre Pio. Mm. Um and just interesting side note, I was reading something a few months ago that mentioned that they think maybe St. Paul had them too. Interesting. From some stuff he said. Oh, wow. And of course, now mm-hmm. that I brought that up, I can't immediately mention mm-hmm. where it is, but yeah. yeah. Fascinating. But yeah, but it's a it's a word, it's a, it's a loaded word though, isn't it? It's like, well, you know, if you're going to use that word, you're, I feel like you're saying something. Because the seller Christians come up and they keep getting referred to, even though not in depth people go oh it's almost like you're a seller christian 
Yeah, and they're and they're calling them seller Christians in this society because you're not going to be an open Christian in this society, right? Right. It's almost like a, I felt like they were comparing them to drug addicts. It's like uh, people that are addicted and religious people. <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> that was a group. You know what I mean? Did you yeah. feel that way too? Did they say God was outlawed, but religion wasn't or something yeah, like that? something like so. that. And, and I know that the institutions, um, one of the things that occurs in here is uh, Jeffrey Formile buys St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, so that stuff is available. It's not being used for religious purposes. And people are buying that stuff, you know, rich people. Yeah. And at one point, Robin says... You know, he says something about seller Christians, and he goes, she goes, well, you know, you keep saying things like Jesus Christ or Christ, and she goes, those words mean something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's kind of both interesting and frustrating is that the author will drop those things in and then never develop it again, as right. far as I could tell. So it's like, are you just... That's part of this firecracker idea, I think. I guess that's it's it. It's just like idea, boom, 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 you know, just, uh, but there's just so many of them in this book. It's just packed with it. Okay, so the fact that he doesn't, well, I feel like by the end, he doesn't really lay things out for you. He doesn't really stop and explain very much. And yeah. even when he's kind of explaining things with the robot and the I believe, I have faith in faith or whatever, uh, yeah, he's not really giving you a conclusion. He's just also throwing that in front of you. Is that, forgive me, every huge fan of this book, is that lazy? Is that because I don't know. I don't he didn't know. want to tell us what to think, and therefore that also I think is kind of yeah. It's it's almost like a in 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 some books that we've read, you know, when you have things that are ambiguous, is that a plus or a minus? You know, it it yeah, it depends. You know, so when we read the end of a book like a ghost story or something, and we're like, was that ghost really real? Or is the author mm. saying that it wasn't real? You know, I'm thinking turn of the screw. Me too. Right, where you're just like, okay, that's ambiguous. You know, what just happened? And the author isn't 100% clear. You know, is that good or bad? I don't know. It's just a thing. I don't know that maybe his mm-hmm. purpose wasn't to come to conclusions. Um, but yet he, he creates this society and he's making points through the story about religion and its place you know, he's making us think about religion's place in society by presenting it as he's presenting it but he's not specifically stating religion is bad or religion is good you know mm-hmm. he's, he's like you know in this society its place is this and it makes you consider that but is it good or bad i don't know that it's lazy i just think that he's he wasn't thinking well my point is to say something specific about this thing maybe he felt like these were the series of shocks that different people might need to wake them up maybe so that's like that's Gully actually, needed that's interesting which is interesting because i was talking to somebody yesterday who loves this book who's mm-hmm. read and reread it mm-hmm. and says they they just they, they just, they've read it for years over and over and i said oh well good because I'm kind of stuck on some things. So, and I was trying to talk about the book, and they went, Well, I've never thought about that. That never mm-hmm. occurred to me. I never thought about this either. I never, and I was like, So, what is the point of the book, do you think? And they were like, Well, and I said, Well, so revenge is bad. And they went, Yeah, that's the point of the book. And I went, 
but what else? And mm-hmm. they were like, I don't know. And I said, then why do you keep reading it? I just like it. And I went, this person hasn't been woken up, maybe. Well, maybe None of so. these ideas that were dropped in here were anything that made them stop and think. And it's not that's not necessarily bad. I have books I read like that, too. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it did make me think, well, in that case, what he if that's what he's trying to do here, mm-hmm. it I guess it doesn't work on everybody. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, know. It, this is this is one of those books, um, I don't know, it can be read at so many levels. Um, however, you're, you're right in that, you know, like when we read, again, if I go back to Flannery O'Connor, when we read her, we feel like there is a thing that she's saying, and if we can just get at it, right? I don't yeah. know that I feel that way about this book, as if there's this thing that he's saying that we just need to get at. But but looking at it as this yeah. series, you know, like you said at the beginning, this series of just bomb, 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 you know, where, but it's like, again, you know, it, it's brought up in science fiction circles all the time because of these incredible ideas that are in it, even though they may not be fully developed, they, mm-hmm. they are developed more than a lot of people would develop them. You know, the idea of, you know, uh, telepathy and um you know we're about to talk about the pyre i mean the idea of that Mm -hmm. and how horrifying that would be um the idea that people can jaunt um the idea that you know he's got this stigmata or this thing that shows on his face the idea that there's a society that used to be uh, of scientists and has evolved into the people that that we saw as the scientific people Right. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, they all of, of these things, all of these they things worship are in science without understanding really any deeper implication to it, which I kind of love as a commentary on science yeah, exactly. uh, from him. <laughs> right, um, right. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, it's almost like somebody took Flannery O'Connor and turned her inside out because Flannery O'Connor gives you no, I mean, she gives you hints, Yeah. but my goodness, you have to dig for them. She's not throwing out idea after idea after She's idea not. going, does like this you, work for you? You read it's, her and suddenly this light comes on at some point and you're just like, oh my gosh, she's talking about the Eucharist or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. We suddenly the whole thing becomes illuminated. Yeah, you but know? you have to be interested enough to dig at that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Um, and not there's no firecracker going off like she's going, bam, here's this idea occasionally. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, was that story called Revelation where, was it Mrs. Turpin or whatever, who sees the people in the sky all going to heaven and mm-hmm. she's at the end? Yeah. All the people she didn't like were at the beginning. Right. You know, that's right. a pretty obvious one. I appreciate that one. Yeah. I need the obvious. But so that's why I was just curious. Um, but mm-hmm. that's a good point. The coming back to Flannery O'Connor as a key, because boy, talk talk about somebody who's hard to read. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, I was just curious yeah. about all that. Yeah, yeah. But it is I don't know. This is one of those books, I think, that every time you read it, it's, you know, whatever time of life you're in. I think it was Neil Gaiman who said something like, you know, you, you never read the same book twice. I guess that's true, yeah. Right, you know, it's just and he's like... A, and C.S. Lewis also. Yeah, stepping in the same river two times. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis's idea that for something to be called a good book, it is something that you would want to reread. Right, mm-hmm. and when you reread it, it is there's also a richness to that. Mm-hmm. I love that that definition, and it's been my definition ever since I encountered it. 
um, it's like, yeah, that's a good book. You know, yeah. the book I should keep on my shelf is the one that I, someday I would want to reread. You know, that yeah, kind of and I have mm-hmm. discovered that more as um, since anybody in the future. This is during the you know the lockdown for the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and um, the library's closed, <laughs> and yeah. I suddenly went, you know, there's about four books that I reread a lot but I've always gotten them from the library. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. my wish list for my birthday is looking uh-huh. different. Um, That's it's, great. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to put the boys in the boat on there. I have to put King oh, Peggy yeah. on there. I oh, always wow. just got them from the library. Now I might like to reread them right now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 This looking probably isn't one different. of them for me. Yeah. yeah. Understood. Yeah. 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 It, to me, it's uh you know, I don't know that I'd reread it often, um, but I, I could certainly see going back to it. Um, you yes. know, so far, you know, here ten years later than when we read it before, and there was an excitement for me when I thought, "Hey, yeah, let's do this book." Um, mm-hmm. I was I was excited to reread it um, oh. because, but mostly, you know, again, what I remembered was that beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was what I remembered most. The rest of it was, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, I think what oh, yeah. I remembered yeah. was the Burning Man and the Firecracker stuff and the fact that it didn't really hang together as a story until about halfway through. And I was like, oh, well, that's mm-hmm. a good anniversary choice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> not a book mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to reading. It definitely was a book that got much more interesting as I went, you know, mm-hmm. um, through the through the being hit by the rockets and sent on. And then, like I said, about halfway through, suddenly the story got easier to read. Yeah. Interesting. And um, Mm -hmm. then I was like very interested in who was running the ship and Mm -hmm. what is going to happen with this. And why is the burning man showing up only sometimes and um, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good read. It was just uh, for me, not a book. I feel like I need to read again. I'm probably wrong because mm-hmm. I say that kind of real definitely well, all the time. Well, on our 20th anniversary, I'm... surprise, <laughs> we're going to talk okay. about this again. No. <laughs> I can read it in 10 years. <laughs> oh, that's but too funny. But it's fun. not a book I'm going to buy for myself. Yeah. I'll just borrow gotcha. a copy. I have a nice yes. paperback of it. And uh, I'm pretty sure this is not the same one I read last time. Oh. But uh, although it could have been, I don't know. But I think I, I was in a a used bookstore, which are becoming so incredibly rare. Oh, yeah. Um, and I saw, this is a nice copy um, from, uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I picked it up, you know, yeah, so well, I had it. Yeah. But that's that's kind of the sign, too. I want to have it around in case I want to reread it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the memories sure. of what it did to you the first time you read it, or yeah. the last time you read it. Absolutely. We definitely need to talk about the pyre. Um, yes. So... Yeah, in the in the second part of the book, you know, uh, Gully Foil starts to find the people that were responsible uh, on the ship, and he, as he finds them, he confronts them, and uh, uh, they end up dying because there's like, a, I don't know, something. They're wired. Yeah, somehow. They're, they're wired. You know, if anybody ever asks you about this, you just die. You know? Right. So that's another incredible idea. Incredible idea. But um, anyway, he's he's in love with this woman, Olivia, and this gets kind of convoluted. But he's, um, you know, he finds out that she is, you know, th- another scene that was very impactful for me was when he mm-hmm. grabbed the kid on Mars, 
who was the only telepath on Mars. Oh, yeah. And brings him to where, uh, I think it's Olivia. No, not Olivia. Um, the captain the, of the ship. Lindsay no, somebody. Yeah, Lindsay, that's right. Lindsay somebody. All right, exactly. Yeah. And who has, in a cult or something, where everybody just goes oh to gosh. sleep and they get their nerves dis- disconnected? Right, because the ultimate good is to be, it's like being the most stoic you could possibly oh be. It just gosh. sounded dreadful. A oh, dreadful. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's but a misuse religion, they're a consciousness, sure. Yeah, they're a consciousness. Uh, they basically detach themselves from their, their physical body, but their physical body is still there, but they mm-hmm. they can't move it because they've their brain has been detached, kind of. Oh, please stop talking about it. Yeah, so anyway, so yeah. she's, she's laying on a, on a table uh, amongst a whole bunch of people laying on tables. So Gully Foyle grabs this, this kid who is a telepath and says... Okay, in this building somewhere is this person. Where is she? What is so and, ingenious? Yeah, and then the the kid says, "Oh, she's on the seventh level or whatever." And I, well, all the time, the kid is just horrified, right. um, which is probably why it's so affecting. But the kid is just screaming and it's oh, like, yeah. "I can't do this," you know. And he's like, "I need you to do this." Where is she? And then he starts to talk, you know, he's like, okay, I need you to tell this woman who has no nerves that I'm going to kill her because she left me and I need you to tell her that. Right. (laughs) And they, oh man, it was, it was something. And then she tells him, I wasn't the one who gave the order. It was Olivia, which is a girl that he. (laughs) Who you're in love with. Who he's in (laughs) love with, right. So yeah, but that, that scene was intense. It was such a surprise. And then when he's talking to Olivia later and saying, because what they what he finds out is he wouldn't have been any better off if they had rescued him because what they were doing is accepting money from people yeah. who wanted it was like a what the the people who uh, will take illegal immigrants over the border and kill them for their stuff. Right. Right. So it's they're like trying to get them off the planets. These, these, these payments, and then you'll get them across the border, and then you'll off them all, so that yeah, you don't have to they, deal with yeah. it, and you just keep the money. Right. So <clears> they're <throat> spacing them. Right. All these people about then. So if they'd have taken him on board, they would have just spaced him with everybody else. So he would have died. Yeah. So that changes things because then he understands. Well, hold on. Me mm-hmm. being left behind wasn't the bad thing I thought it was. Yeah. And then, secondly, he is talking to Olivia, and and because she was she was doing this for kicks essentially, <laughs> and uh, she's she says, well, no, actually, I was doing it for revenge because she has a weird kind of blindness where she can only see electromagnetic signals or something like that, yeah. mm-hmm. and so um, she says, you know. And she's from an incredibly rich family. So she's had every advantage always given to her to develop, you know, what she can see, to serve her and everything. And she goes, I am so mad that I was born blind. This just wasn't fair. And I was going to take my revenge on everybody around me. Wow. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he suddenly goes, oh, bloody hell. That's exactly (laughs) what I'm doing. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the final kick to his conscience Mm -hmm. or development of his inner person or whatever you would call it and he says oh my gosh we're both monsters and she goes yes but we love each other isn't that great Mm -hmm. he's like oh no you're even more of a monster (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um 
Yeah. And I just thought it was kind of interesting that he, and again, this is like the Count of Monte Cristo where what happens is he sees an innocent who has suffered because of his driving desire for vengeance. Right. Right. And he sees all these people who've been killed, including Robin's mother and sisters who had paid money to get out and be near Robin because they were stuck on these outer planets mm-hmm. and they were spaced like that for their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he sees a personal connection to that as well as his own possible danger that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then he starts to take steps, you know, he's going to fix just, it. Yeah. He's going to fix it. And then it it's just, not enough to feel bad. You have right. to fix what you did. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that is very Christian. Yeah. Agreed. And right. especially Catholic, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Um, he says, punishment isn't enough. Things must be set right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and we've said that all along. And the other thing I thought was interesting is, um, just to kind of dodge back, but he suddenly is aware of other people's suffering. Mm. And because Olivia is kind of a mirror of him in a odd way right he can see himself afresh and it's that thing that um well of course christianity says this anyway but c.s lewis i think specifically would talk about suffering is what wakes us up you know and it's this idea that people don't understand when you say you have to carry your cross jesus said it you know Mm. you have to pick up your cross and carry it just like i do you have to be just like me well he was doing it he was blameless and doing it for us. Mm. But then we all have our crosses to bear. They may be small, like I am stuck, I can't work because of this virus situation. Mm. But you may have big crosses. You may have you may be born with some defect like Olivia was. There's all these different things and you can use them wrongly and they can lead to you becoming so um, selfish and cruel to others and such a victim in your own mind. Or you can give of yourself and say, I'll work around it. And I'm making this sound very blithe and easy. It is not. Even small things like not ripping someone's head off because you're not having a good day. Well, those are that's what most of us are called to. Because patience isn't there for when you're feeling good. Patience is there for when you're feeling bad. That's how you strengthen those virtues. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that awaken us to the bigger world that allow us to get in touch with who we really are why it's important to set things right, because we're all in this together. Mm. And for Christians, of course, this is our call to for God to reach in and touch us more. Because when we're broken apart by suffering, however big or small, that's when the doors open and He can get in. Not just for comfort, but for strength, mm. for insight. Wonderful. Very well put. Thank you. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So, yeah. So, in that state, um, that state of mind is where the rest of the book takes place. Um, so, they, they we learn that Pyre is detonated. It's a weapon, and it's detonated by telepathy. Mm-hmm. And as they're trying to uh, flush gully foil out, they, they grab that Robin, who's the one-way uh, te- telepath, and right. to trigger uh, the pyre. And right. what ends up, I loved this too. This was just so cool to me that um, 
all the pyre from all these experiments that this guy was doing as he was developing it um, exploded. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and right. you know, they were like, oh, there's like a, uh, you know, he, he, he put some stuff in a drain here cause he was done with it and it spread over a 10 kilometer oh, yeah, area. All the little bits of it. Yeah. And it blew mm-hmm. up and now there's a crater. <laughs> um, yeah. It was just something. It was just something. And then, um, so foil. Like Gully's in the crater, yeah, right? Isn't he's, that- he's in the St. Patrick's I think. And then, uh, it, it collapses, right? St. Pat, it partially mm-hmm. collapses. Um, it traps foil. He's unconscious, but he's alive uh, over a pit, right? And mm-hmm. then suddenly he's got synesthesia, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And now yeah. he's seeing uh, what hearing lights and and yeah. uh, th- th- I mean the description of it all was just kind of amazing. And um, because at the it, same time, it is on fire, right? From the because pyre. because all of his neurological stuff that he had done to make his body a weapon. Um, this stuff is all the wires get crossed and he's going through just incredible stuff and he starts to, yeah, he's on fire and he jaunts through, through space and everything. And time. Yeah. Right. And now he's going back and now the burning man is, is a vision that he's seen in the past and he's appearing to himself and just things go pandelirium. (laughs) He's just everywhere. He's jaunting and it's just crazy. And, uh, then is he gets back he... to the present. Oh, is this one? Okay. What? Yeah. I was going to say, is this when he finds out that, or is it at a different time that he actually could space jaunt? Yeah. He had learned, somebody had told him in the past that one of the things that was amazing about him is he could jaunt in space. And right, that was they... something that they, people don't normally do. Right. Because they, because right. you can't jaunt to somewhere that you haven't seen, but, and you can't jaunt through space. Mm-hmm. And they had taken him, they had found him, mm-hmm. these outer planet people, and hauled him like 600,000 miles in or whatever. Yeah. So he could be a distress call to call in their enemy ships, and they'd pick him off one by one. But instead, he space jaunts back to his little closet on Nomad. <laughs> right. The place he doesn't want to be, but that's yeah. the place he knows, yeah. I guess. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So he's got ability to jaunt where other people can't. Yeah. And... Um, so, so, yeah, another big thing that happened is you alluded it to it earlier. So he's got like 20 pounds of this pyre stuff. And then what he does is he, he steals it and um, basically gives a piece of it. He's like, he jaunts into a city, throws a piece of it out to a crowd. And then uh, basically he's saying humanity's going to decide whether to destroy itself or or whatever the other options might be. <laughs> like the war with this stuff right. or stop the war with so this stuff. So he's putting it all in these people's hands. Um, you know, it's like an equalizer, right? It, you know, and again, we're, now we're thinking about, um, you know, arms races and things like that where, mm-hmm. okay, we've just put the the worst weapon ever in the hands of common people. And now the the people that are in charge don't have any... Um, they don't have any control Leverage. over these people now, right? Yeah, because you know these guys can well, fight or back. The war, right? Right. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. And then, even crazier, he says, 
you know, the key to this space jaunting is having faith that there's actually something there. And he discovers that and starts to jaunt throughout space. He's mm-hmm. like visiting Vega or, you know, all these stars and things. And um, that was incredible. I mean, it reminds me of of a lot of science fiction from from that era where, you know, like Paul Anderson writing stories about, you know, going to places and time. I remember a Paul Anderson story where the, you know, they're, they're going so far forward in time that they kind of loop back. You know what I mean? Oh. Um, you know, and you're seeing the, just the most incredible things. And, and that's what goalie foil is doing. Yeah. And then at the very end, he gets back to the scientific people. <laughs> back right? at the beginning. Back at the beginning. Yep. Yep. And of course the fact that he's named Gulliver. Yeah. Right, we haven't even mentioned um, that. Yeah, yeah, that's Gully is short for uh-huh. Gulliver, and so that's kind of a, that we should be thinking from the beginning. He's mm-hmm. going to go on a travel to see all these different societies, like Gulliver's Travels, yeah. and of course, um, you know, he hits the scientific people. I guess they were like the Lilliputians. Yeah. But then in that level, that book is all satire, right? As well as adventure, and so then you're looking at what form of satire is all this right and of course right. you know scientific people are the easy ones yeah but um but, uh, but thing... i found this oh, i'm oh, sorry okay no, the no, very last paragraph of the thing he says he settled down outside the locker the girl moira ran up the twisted corridors and returned a few moments later with a silver basin of warm water and a silver tray of food she bathed foil gently then set the tray before him as an offering so they're treating him like he's a god. A god, right? And then he says, then she settled down alongside Joseph. Moira and Joseph, alongside <laughs> the world, prepared to await the awakening. So they're waiting for him to tell them stuff, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and you the know? tattooing made me think of um, the Maori people. Mm. And then when you come back and talk about the awakening, I think that's an Aboriginal or uh, belief, too, that someday the universe is going to wake up. Now, interesting. Mm-hmm. I am going on no research. This is just a general, I'm one of the common people who doesn't get it, okay? So, yeah. but what it did is make me think of going back to, you know, the primitive, more basic ways Yeah, yeah. of looking at everything. Because interesting. I don't know what he's doing. I don't, I'm confused about all of that. Yeah. Um, the yeah. ending was very... Ambiguous. Ambiguous. That's the word. There it is. I mean, we got, you know, turn of the screw ending kind of a thing where what happens now? What happened? I don't care for it. What does it mean? I like an ending where I can agree or disagree. Thank you. (laughs) Yep. Shows my closed mind, I suppose. (laughs) I don't know about that, but that's cool. I do. One thing that gets mentioned here, and I think I probably have mentioned it because I was jumping around just like Gully Foyle or the <laughs> Burning Man through time and space. Uh, but um, there's an interesting conversation that is had with a robot. And robots are usually not even mentioned or they're just like the robot brought breakfast and left. <laughs> and um, But there's a guy who... <laughs> This is the other thing, this radioactive guy can only be around people for five minutes or he starts to kill them. And, um, but he's in this big meeting and his radiation starts to bring the robots to consciousness, I guess, <laughs> because why wouldn't, foil, it? why wouldn't it? 
and this book, anything's possible. <laughs> We're not worried about logic. We're just telling a story here. Hmm. Um, but his his question was, so Gully is saying, but what do I do? This decision's so simple, isn't it? Because he's got the pyre, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "Do this with it. Give it to me. Give it to me." You know, and they're all, you know, uh, they have different ideas. And he says, "Am I to respect Prestine's property rights, the welfare of the planets, Jezebel's ideals, Dagenham's realism, Robin's conscience? Press the robot, and, or press the button, and watch the robot jump." But I'm not a robot. I'm a freak of the universe, a thinking animal, and I'm trying to see my way clear through this morass. Am I to turn Pyre over to the world and let it destroy itself? Am I to teach the world how to space jaunt and let us spread our freak show from galaxy to galaxy through all the universe? What's the answer? The bartender robot hurled its mixing glass across the room with a resounding crash. In the amazed silence that followed, Dagenham grunted, Damn, my radiation's disrupted your dolls again, Prestane. The answer is yes, the robot said quite distinctly. What? Foyle asked, taken aback. The answer to your question is yes. Thank you, Foyle said. My pleasure, sir, the robot responded. A man is a member of society first, and an individual second. You must go along with society, whether it chooses destruction or not. Hmm. And um, Foyle then, he says, but society can be so stupid, so confused. You've witnessed this conference. Yes, sir, but you must teach, not dictate. You must teach society. And he says, what? Why? And he says, because you're alive. He says, you might as well ask, what is life? Don't ask about it. Live it. And Foyle says, there's got to be more to life than just living. And he says, and this is what I wish we'd all remember right now. Then find it for yourself, sir. Don't ask the world to stop moving because you have doubts. And, and I think of that mm. in terms of everybody going, no, I think this way, everybody has to stop everything. Yeah, right. Because this is so important to me or to this group of people. Nobody's mm-hmm. willing to have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the find it for yourself, of course, I'm, if he's talking about society, then society, of course, will have to find the answer together. Mm-hmm. Um, but he then does go on and say, you're all, you're not lemmings, you're all different. Some lead and hope the rest follow. And he goes, and so Foyle says, who leads? And the robot says, the men who must, driven men, compelled men, freak men. And that's uh, Gully. And the robot says, you're all freaks, sir, but you have always been freaks. Life is a freak. That's its hope and glory. Hmm. And And so what's interesting is that after that is when he's jaunting in space, you know, a little while after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he says, I believe, I have faith. He jaunted again and failed again. Faith in what? He asked himself adrift in limbo. Faith in faith, he answered himself. It isn't necessary to have something to believe in. It's only necessary to believe that somewhere there's something worthy of belief. Which sounds um, not good <laughs> for a mm-hmm. Christian, but if you don't have Christian faith, if you think there's something worth believing in, that is going to send you on a search for what's worthy of belief. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to put yourself into something that you don't believe in. You're going to go, what is worth believing in? Yeah, yeah. And that's what you've mm-hmm. got the faith in. Very good. Um, yeah. 
And it's easy to send yourself down the wrong track, but you can't find anything if you're not looking, mm-hmm. if what I'm saying makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So in in what the robot said, too, you know, what was the first thing he said about society and the individual? Yeah, that's this is the thing where there's a lack of nuance, I believe. Yeah. It's, um, hold on, let me find it. Oh. Um, a man is a member of society first and an individual second. You must go along with society whether it chooses destruction or not. Yeah. And, of so course, you, that's right. incorrect. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. So it's like, you know, there's that, uh, that – that's the problematic thing right there. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that while he's saying that, he's also saying people aren't the same. You teach – and you hope they follow you. Yeah, which is right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, which that is I correct. I agree with 100%, yes. right? Because you're, uh, yeah, the, the dictation of uh, the people that are in charge um, and, and the changing of the guard, you know, from, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the United States now we're going like, you know, a liberal administration and a conservative, you know, and in a liberal way, right. you know, it, it's like, yeah, I mean, the dictation of things. Um, why can't we all? Why can't we all just get along, right? The, yeah, uh, and I, you know, and and uh, learning how to live together is not something that's going on a lot right now. And maybe society, forgive me, Alfred Bester and all his many fans. Maybe society's mm-hmm. not the right word. Hmm. Maybe what it comes back down to is the word we use a lot, which is community. Yeah, yeah. What you know, and, and there are they are two different things. Um, mm-hmm. While kind of being the same. Yeah. Because it's the togetherness, but it's, you have to, you do have to teach and guide, but you can't just blindly accept what society says. You have to have a mind and think it through. I mean, otherwise you wind up with North Korea. Hmm. And, and that's always what the Catholic Church has taught, despite, you know, the, the misinformation out there. That, you know, the the Pope says, jump, and we say, how high? I think people know that's not true. You know, (laughs) in modern times, I think that's amply been described to be untrue. Yeah, right. But it's also that idea that that religion says one thing, and you just have to do it no matter what. And I've talked to people who've been converting to Catholicism, who've come from forms of Christianity, where people have told them, oh, well, you— you can't question what the church is thinking, then you're going to hell. So that's the extreme version of that, which is, you know, not something Catholicism has ever thought of. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a church history of 2,000 years of scientists. And, you know, I mean, we developed the university, for heaven's sakes, yeah, uh, yeah. where there's an exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason it was developed. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, we've gone long on this one. <laughs> Oops. No, it's okay. Uh, it's it's just packed full of ideas, mm-hmm. packed full of little things. Um, but yeah, but thanks for revisiting it with me. That was fun. No, I'm, it's good that you picked it. I hadn't yeah. read it in so long, and it's interesting to look at it from, like you say, the books that we've read since then. I think a lot of mm-hmm. the conversations that we've had since then. Yeah. Yeah, you no know, question. Absolutely. Just change how you yeah. look at it. Definitely does. And that's the way and it from, should be. That's the way it yeah, should be. Yeah, and from be. a point of view of faith, it's different too. Yeah. This one we hadn't yeah. talked about 
in this context. No, we had so, not. Yeah, we had not. That's yeah, so. and it's nice to kind of revisit because I also remembered after we talked about this book, going, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it would have been nice to talk about some other things. So sure, sure. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Well, fun. Thank you, Alfred Bester. Yep. Yep. Thank very you very good. much. <laughs> All right, and next we're going to oh, we're going to watch a movie, Dunkirk. Oh yeah, Dunkirk. Yeah. Yeah, fun. Shall we talk about confusing again? <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> but I like this movie. Don't get me wrong; I've That's watched good. it probably three times. So oh, good, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Going to World War II though. Yeah, and reality. Right, right. Yeah. So very good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.